The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And uh, people call me, oh gosh, what's my uh, really obvious nickname? Uh, uh, words. Co-star. <laughs> <laughs> Whitney. Words. Seibold. Reconnaissance. Yeah. Uh, William. Podcast. Bibiani. Podcasts. <laughs> this episode of Cancel Too Soon comes courtesy of one of our patrons. Every single year we do a uh, an awards episode where we go through all of our favorite and uh, least favorite and weirdest shows that we've done in the previous year. And there's also a category for the best episode of this show uh, in which all of our listeners get to vote. And we pick one of those listeners at random to get their own episode of Cancel Too Soon. They give us the show that they want us to do, and provided that it fits our rules and we can find it, we gotta do it. We have no option beyond that. And uh, this year, the winner was uh, a patron who goes by the name of Benj. Uh, so thank you, Benj. And Benj had a lot of cool ideas, but the one that we settled on was a show that we've had so many requests to do. <laughs> uh, this one lingers in the memory in a weird sort of way. Even if you didn't watch the show, you remember it. There's a there's a lot. There's lots of very striking. It's very strikingly designed. Uh, a lot of uh, famous people worked on it. It was incredibly expensive. It was part of a huge toy line in the 1980s, and it was part of an enormous controversy in the 1980s over the show's uh, content, both as uh, a show that featured a lot of violence, but also a show that marketed toys very specifically to kids. It became one of these uh, just focal points of mm. that sort of uh, rejection of 1980s kid show mentalities. Uh, it is a show that some of you may remember. It is called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Power on. <laughs> Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Earth 2147. The legacy of the Metal Wars. When man fought machine and machines won. Biodreads. Monstrous creations that hunt down human survivors and digitize them. Volcania. Center of the Biodread Empire. Stronghold and fortress of Lord Dread, feared ruler of this new order. But from the fires of the Metal Wars arose a new breed of warrior, born and trained to bring down Lord Dread and his Bio-Dread empire. They were soldiers of the future. Mankind's last hope. First off, right off the bat, here's the thing that bugs me about Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, because they say in like the title sequence, mm. they're called Captain Power! And the soldiers of the future. And I'm like, isn't it their present? 
They wouldn't call themselves the soldiers of the future. They're the soldiers of right now. Yeah, but the, the narrator isn't in the future. The narrator is in the present. He's looking ahead. He's got, How does he know if it hasn't happened yet? Well, somebody's filming them. Usually narrators are looking in the back, you know, in the, in the rearview mirror, right. you know. You know, Captain Power in the rearview mirror, Mary Peter closer than he is. Okay, if, if that's your biggest problem with the show, then we're in good shape. <laughs> it's um, not my biggest problem with the show, uh, but it is Captain Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future came out in 1987, and uh, this was... Uh, re- if you were a kid in 1987, as I was, you remember how innovative this toy line was. Now, oh, yeah. Uh, to to put a little bit of context, and we talk about this a lot. The 1980s were the times uh, was the time when a lot of TV shows were being greenlit because they were already toy lines. A lot of uh, 30 minute animated adventure shows for kids were intended to sell toys. Yeah, and a and lot of toy that was lines their only function. And and a lot of toy lines they would come out. Oh, we have this great idea for a toy line. It's called mm-hmm. He Man, but it needs a backstory. It needs kids to get connected to the characters. So on top of that, we need to make a show. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of synergy going on between yeah, different no. uh, departments of various companies, and a mm-hmm. lot of deals between various toy makers and various animation studios, and in this case, live action. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, as such, a lot of people our age grew up with this mentality that uh, it was really exciting to have this sort of cross-media adventure where you get to watch a TV show and buy some toys and play with the toys while you're watching the mm-hmm. show and just be completely inside of this world that they're creating. First of all, the worlds they were creating were shit. Oh, uh, that's not uni- that's not uniformly true, but mostly okay, true. Okay, 90%, 90 to 98% of the time. Yeah. The worlds they were creating were complete crap. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe is bad. Yes, it is, actually. It is actually... I've rewatched a lot of that show. It's exceptionally bad. Thundercats is exceptionally bad. Uh, sometimes you just don't want to go back. Uh, the, On the other hand... The one I was fond of was uh, Silverhawks from the makers of Thundercats. Oh, yeah. It was Thundercats in space. And yeah. Have you gone back? No, I don't want to. <laughs> what I, one thing I will say, though, is that a lot of these like 1980s kid shows that really weren't that good in the first place, mm. um, the people who grew up with them sometimes latched onto the most interesting things, and so when those shows get inevitably rebooted, sometimes they're very well, not, good. Not, not inevitably. This well, was something that... The big ones Mar- are... Marketing and branding kind of put in our heads that we need to keep these okay. things alive. I, I said inevitably with a twinge of irony. Right. My point is that it seems like the big ones tend to come back in one way or another. Mm. Uh, maybe it's a comic book, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a TV series. Bring, bring it back in, yeah, on TV. And sometimes they're good. Like, I will say this. The original She-Ra TV series... Not a very good show. The new She-Ra TV series? Fucking awesome show. Really well written and, and, and diverse and exciting and, and dramatic and really funny. Like, it's good. So I can't really begrudge the old She-Ra too much since it did give us the new She-Ra, you know? Yeah, but we had, we had to suffer through 30 years of the old She-Ra. Was it worth it? Well, it wasn't a consistent 30 years of the old <laughs> I She-Ra. It was the few years of the old She-Ra mm-hmm. and then people mostly... You know, but, forgot uh, about it or left it to nostalgia, and then it came back. But uh, by the time we had reached the late 80s, a lot of cynicism had arisen about this business model that had been in play for not very long. It was only like three, like four or five years. Oh, no, no, no. Really That's, in high gear. It was in high... Uh, okay, it was in high gear at first because everyone was ramping up because it, uh, previously you weren't allowed to do that. Mm. There were actually laws in place about what could be on television. Oh, yeah. Reagan repealed a lot of that. Mm. Um, so... Now that there could be toy marketing in kids' shows, there was this massive influx because, oh, we couldn't do that before. And now every single show was. After a while, it hit a plateau and it became kind of business as usual. It was still mm. the status quo. 
for the 90s onward. No, that, that's you true. Know? And, and there's, fact, a, the, there's a the show... Wor- um, the word atoyetic became a big part of executives' lexicon at the time, yeah. as in, what can we put in this show that we can make toys out of? There's a, there's a show that we almost covered a couple of times, it just didn't win a poll, but we're going to get to it. Uh, there was the CG animated TV series based on the DC superhero Green Lantern, mm. which I watched and was actually really well written. But... And even though it was reasonably popular as a show, the movie was so bad that the toys didn't sell. And because the toys didn't sell, they canceled the show, even though the ratings were good and people liked it. Yeah. The toys and the and the animation, they're still mm. directly connected in well, a very frustrating way. And, uh, we'll, and we'll get to this as well. It, it needed to re- do really well across a lot of different advertising platforms, yeah. which means they really needed to target in, zero in on a very specific demographic. Mm. Uh, usually nine-year-old boys. That's kind of the the center of a lot of this stuff, but nine-year-old girls as well with uh, your your strawberry shortcakes and your My Little Ponies. Uh, Those were specifically targeting a a young female audience. Uh, Toy Uh, toy lines are still, to this day, often mm. very gendered. Mm. Uh, And and by gendered, I mean... uh, uh, Oh, no, I I have a five-year-old. I've been to toy stores. I know how disappointingly gendered they were. I thought that a lot of toys were moving in a more gender-neutral way. It was when I saw, like, Nerf for her that I really got outraged. It's like, it's a Nerf gun. It's for everyone. You shoot your darts at friends. Boys and girls play with this. You don't need to make it pink and purple and like have it have yeah. smoother shades I, do, I, do, I know that they have a lot of market research their market research yeah. is bullshit there's a lot of that stuff that we really can move away from and yeah, it's yeah. taken way too long uh, all that, but all this leads us into the late 1980s when Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future came out now the late 80s was the age of Nintendo. Video games were taking things over, and a lot of toy manufacturers didn't know what to do because uh, a lot of the market share was going to video games, and they made plastic toys. Uh, so the makers of Captain Power had this rather innovative idea. It's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, where they would uh, sell Captain Power-themed light guns, sort of like the Zapper from the old NES, if you remember that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could, if you shot it at certain blocks of color on the screen in the TV show, the gun would react in a certain sort of way. Yeah, so, so you like, could essentially shoot bad guys while you watch the show. So the premise of Captain Power, as you already heard in that mm-hmm. clip, is it's a post-apocalyptic future. There has been a war with uh, mostly robots, but there's also people who've been indoctrinated into this kind of machine cult. And there's a handful of heroes who have uh, mechanized power suits... And they look like walking, talking action figures. Like, I've never seen a live-action thing where the characters look more like walking, talking well, action figures. to be fair, Power Rangers. No, even then, because Power Rangers... <laughs> Power Rangers are color-coded, for Power God's Rangers, sake. And so, are the, yeah. so, are, so is Captain Power. Oh, yeah. The reason why Power Rangers are a little different is because they're mostly wearing spandex. Captain Power, they're wearing, like, these big plastic pieces of armor. Mm-hmm. And they look like the Centurions. They're just walking around. Yeah. And the, the, to the actors, to all of their credit... I don't know if it was the actors or the directors or if they had like, you know, physical like they were they were taking mind classes or whatever, but they know how to pose in those things. They know how to like <laughs> you don't just shoot a gun, you extend your arm out just so oh. so that you look like you're on the cover of a yellow page sci-fi novel from a dime store. That's kind of what I like about the design. It has this old-fashioned quality, not old-fashioned 80s. I mean like old-fashioned 50s. Oh yeah. Where it's, yeah, there there's these big Mando round Cody yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, big yeah. round helmets, big uh, black vibe. Their shoulder pads are really large. They're really shiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, 
And yeah, they were filming them in such a way that it never looks uncomfortable for them. Yeah, they, they clearly designed them so that there's one character who's called Tank who's wearing more armor than anyone else, but even he can get around pretty good. You know, he's also a very, he's a, I think he was a bodybuilder. He's like a Swedish bodybuilder played that character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even even he looked like he was kind of comfortable lugging that sort of stuff around. Yeah, uh, The bad guy had this sort of... Uh, Darth Vader by way of Locutus look about him, but it was before Locutus. Uh, But yeah, yeah, it's kind of like this evil looking Borg. And he was, uh, it looked like for a while he was part of his throne. Like it was just sort of wired into into, uh, later on in the series. He'd actually get up and start walking around. Yeah. Um, But like he, he was able to act through this like facial appliance he had on. I think a lot of it had to do with uh, the, the acting and the writing, frankly. Yeah, there's some, there's some, re- the, the cast is often asked to do very broad things, and to their credit, they throw mm. themselves into it. Yeah. Every situation is just as dire, just as quippy, just as anything as you could possibly want from Pulp Adventure. Um, the stakes are always really, really high. The episodes are only 22 minutes long, and that's including the like two minute recap at the beginning of every episode and one minute for credits. So space is at a premium, and they have to put a ton of action into every episode because, as you said, every episode is also an interactive video game. Uh, the idea was there was, um, and the one I saw, I remember when this came out, mm. and I knew one guy who had the toy. There was <laughs> the, one they dude. were hard to come by. They were, they were they expensive, were, they especially were ex- the light zapper. The light zapper uh, was not cheap. Like, you get the action figures, they were about as much as any other action figure, but the light zapper that interacted with the show, that was expensive. Uh, I think it also came with a VHS of it, just in case you weren't, like, watching it in syndication, because yeah. the show was in syndication. Well, also, this was at a time when people were getting their uh, TV signals analog, so yeah. if, if you had a bad signal and it was kind of fuzzing out or the color dropped out, yeah. it's not going to work. But yeah, you would watch a show, and in every episode, there was, there's usually at least two sequences that could be interactive. One was the closing credits, which was basically from Captain Power's POV as he was flying through a trench exactly like Star Wars, it, it looked and then a shooting lo- something at the end. It looked a lot like uh, an IMAX film yeah, from back in the day. It, yeah. And uh, so that had a bunch of like the interactive flashing color bits, but there would also be at least one action sequence in the middle of the show, sometimes using recycled footage. You can tell, like, as the, if you binge it, yeah. they start, like, really getting married to a couple of different shots. Um, <laughs> oh, they've seen that, they've seen that robot die 20 times mm-hmm. already. Um, but uh, there would just be a scene where Captain Power and his cronies, they're fighting a bunch of robots. Mm. The designs on the show, we've already talked about the designs of the heroes a little bit. We talked about the designs of the villain, Lord Dread. Um, the robots are basically just people in suits of armor. They look like mm. they kind of walked off of any medieval thing, but they added some wires to it and added a glowy Tron patch in mm. the middle of their chest. So it doesn't really look like they're fighting robots most of the time unless they like hit their heads and their heads fall off, yeah. uh, which makes with, the show feel very violent. It's very violent, ex- with the exception of there were two robot underlings to Lord Dread. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was named Sauron and the other was named Blastar. And they were CGI realizations. And this uh, is the late 80s. People were not doing that. Yeah, this was really uncommon to be using CGI yeah. in the late 80s. Uh, when when they did, it was usually... Um, this didn't come out until the early 90s. But do you remember Beyond the Mind's Eye? It was just a bunch of uh, computer animated shorts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they ended up really using some of those computer animated shorts in the movie Lawnmower Man. The Lawnmower Man, Man yeah. yeah. Uh, the CGI at the time, it was very... Uh, 
uh, polygon oriented, like a lot of yeah. very straight, boxy, yeah, boxy, a lot of straight lines. Uh, the the text, forget about texture. The only thing they could really do is make something look kind of shiny. Uh, so to a modern eye, it's going to look really, really cheap and rudimentary. At the time, this stuff was state of the art, especially really to superimpose them with uh, live action characters. Yeah, initially they're just sort of flying around, and we cut between the CGI characters, ever. But mm. like by the end of the series, they're having dialogue conversations, and this is the kind of thing that, like, yeah, people weren't really doing that at the time. And mm. this is like the budget for this show was actually ridiculous. This show cost about a million dollars an episode for a half hour episode of a kids syndicated mm. TV show. Good luck trying to find this show on the air in they, 1987, 1988. They moved it the hell around. There were times when the show was on at like five in the morning, like you mm. could, on a Sunday. So it was just gone. Mm. I, uh, I remember seeing all the bumpers for it. I remember trying to catch the first episode because I remember when it premiered in 1987. Yeah. And, I don't remember what was going on in my household, but I had to leave. Like, I had to leave partway through the episode. Haven't seen it until now. I was not, like, there oh, was you a, never saw any of it? There was a VHS tape in my local video store that my mom would never let me rent. It's like, because... <laughs> it will corrupt your mind. No, it was, it was because we're a family and we have to watch something that at least, like, two out of the four people want to see. Oh. And nobody else wanted to see this thing. So I could never rent Captain Power. I was too young to get it on my own. Uh, and it's always been something I've been curious about. This, oh, well, weird, we did this, this. this weird lost program from 1987 that I always wanted to see when I was a little kid. And it wasn't available for a long, 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 long time. They mm. finally put it on DVD in 2011. It's also pretty easy to find online. Mm. Um, so I want to give a special thank you to Benj for uh, giving us an opportunity to finally watch this show. I watched maybe one or two episodes when this thing came out, but... Mm. It was like the middle of the show, and it's not really plot-centric, but it's really dense, mm. and it's easy to feel like you don't know what the hell is going on if you just watch an episode at random, because it's just full of information and action. Mm. So let's uh, let's uh, do our uh, due diligence, and mm. let's talk about the people involved mm. in this show. Uh, the show was created by two people mm. who... Near as we can tell, had very little to do with the actual writing of the show. Uh, there was a person named Tony Christopher, and this is pretty much their only uh, credit. Mm. And also uh, a, a person named Gary Goddard. Gary Goddard is a, a TV veteran. He created a lot of kids' programs. Mm -hmm. He uh, directed the Masters of the Universe film, the really awful one that Canon put out that nobody likes. And uh, he has also been accused of incredibly terrible mm. things in the Me Too movement. Incredibly yeah, terrible things. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of detail about that. It's easy to find out online if you want to find out more. If we went into detail, it would just be distressing and horrible. Uh, fortunately for our conversation, it really doesn't seem like he had almost anything to do with the writing of the show. Mm -hmm. In fact, the majority of the writing of the show was done by another TV veteran who is responsible for the creation of shows like Babylon 5. He was the head writer on the good years of the real Ghostbusters animated series, <laughs> and he's written a ton of comic books, including Rising Stars, Fantastic Four, uh, and it's a writer named J. Michael Straczynski. Mm. J. Michael Straczynski has worked on everything. He's worked on every animated series in the 80s, and uh, he's typically considered to be one of the best writers to come out of that generation. 
Um, and mm-hmm. you'll see a few other recognizable names. Christy like, Marks wrote a few episodes of this. She created Gem and the Holograms. Uh, Mark Scott Zickery was uh, sort of the head develop, like the person who essentially developed the program. And he wrote for everything. Yeah. Uh, he wrote for Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Babylon 5, Beauty and the Beast. Friday Robert, the 13th, the series. Yeah, sliders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. His credits go on and on and on. Yeah, so the, a lot of people came together to make mm. this show into a reality. And so you're watching something like this, and unfortunately, because you know it's being worked on by a lot of veterans, and because of just sort of the marketing uh, mentality of what was going on in the late 1980s, yeah. it does feel focus-grouped right away. Yeah. It feels like what is kind of the most broadly appealing kids show premise we can come up with. Mm-hmm. And they give it a kind of a, a, even at the time the name was made fun of kind of a silly name, captain power. Mm. It's like, that's well, that's pretty nondescript captain power. Yeah. It's not, well, it's again, a lot of the kids shows at mm-hmm. the time, uh, especially the ones that were marketed towards a male demographic were portrayed as power fantasies. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there's a good, I sometimes have issues with it, but a mostly good TV series on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us, in which they talk about some of the biggest toy lines ever, and they talk about like where they came from, where the original idea came from, what sort of drama happened behind the scenes. It's usually very interesting. Sometimes I think it's a little one-sided. Um, but in the episode of He-Man, they talk about how the idea with He-Man is what do kids want? Well, kids are kids. Mm. You know, they're the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to like strength and power and authority. They, they can't get to control anything in their house. They don't have access to money. They can't like, you know, defend themselves of aliens attack. So what do kids want? Kids want to be big and strong. So He-Man was about bigging muscly and cool. And everything simply revolved around that. As long yeah. as He-Man was muscly and cool, doesn't matter if anything else makes sense. And nothing about that show made sense. So I feel like Captain Power <laughs> is kind of the same way. Everything yeah. is writ really large. The hero's last name is Power. There's actually a joke in one of the later episodes where someone meets Captain Power and it's like, I thought that was a nickname. That's your actual name? His name is actually, that's like Dr. Strange. And like all of the people on his team, and we were making fun mm. of at the beginning, have these really obvious nicknames. Like there's a guy named Tank, mm. who's really big. There's a guy named Hawk, who flies. Mm. The one that pisses me off, because I feel like it's like you weren't even trying, is the, uh, the, the member of the team who's a pilot, whose nickname is Pilot. Yeah, Jennifer, Pilot, Chase. That's not even a nickname. It was played by uh, an actress named Jessica Steen, who was the doctor in Earth 2. That's where I knew her yeah, from. That yeah, was yeah. driving me up the wall. Yes. <laughs> and I like her a lot as an yeah. actress. Actually. In fact, I think the, the show wisely realizes towards the second half of the season that she's got more like of an arc built into her than like most of the other characters and they start focusing on her more and giving her more episodes and it mm. becomes a stronger show whenever they do because um, she's actually got backstory in fact we actually don't find out a lot about a lot of these characters because everything is so focused on action but let's go give the uh the main cast so we've got uh captain jonathan power he's played by an actor named tim dunnigan uh who probably don't know him but if you remember on the disney channel they brought back davy crockett for a little while in the late 80s and he was davy crockett oh i, I don't even remember that a, a, gen- uh, a generically handsome charming guy yeah um and yeah he plays captain power who uh his father invented these power suits that would allow them to fight off the robot hordes of lord dread almost yeah, single-handedly yeah. They have and little, now he leads this team they have little widgets on their lapels they uh 
press their fists to these little widgets and the, the armor like grows around their bodies. Yeah. I mean, it's just a big flashy effect, but like, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, that's it. He's the generic hero. Mm. He's got issues with his dead father who died fighting Lord Dread. And uh, there's a couple episodes Whoa. where he seems like overcome with grief about that. But other than that, he's pretty much a stalwart. In fact, we don't even really get the pilot until halfway through the series, but it, we'll get to that. It's uh, one of those shows. When, one of my favorite things in shows is when um, they clearly shot a pilot. But they clearly thought the pilot wasn't good enough to start with, so they have to do an episode later and add an awkward framing device yeah, the, so that they can put the pilot in somewhere because they spent so much money on it. It's the menagerie syndrome exactly. from Star Trek. Star Trek actually did it better than most. Star- the, the, yeah, they were able to reuse the pilot in an interesting sort of way because yeah. there was a story that they kept cutting back to that actually had stakes being raised while you were watching the pilot. Yeah, sometimes the pilot, when they like have a pilot and then they show it later... Like the the framing device is literally people talking at dinner and who gives a shit. Mm-hmm. Like no, here they actually and they tried to in Captain Power. And we'll talk about that in a minute when we run through all the episodes. Um, but it's not the highlight of that uh, trope. Uh, next up, we have Major Matthew Hawk Masterson, played by Peter McNeil, who is one of two people in this cast I immediately recognized. Okay, of the main cast, and the reason why I recognize Peter McNeil is he plays the dad on The Good Witch. <laughs> okay there's a show on the hallmark channel called the good witch oh my god okay it is maybe the mildest show on television and the whole point of the good witch is there's this really small town in like michigan or ontario or like in that area and uh there is a woman and her teenage daughter and they are witches and here's how that affects their lives they can tell if someone's about to say hi to them before they see them and every once in a while, they get a feeling about somebody and suggest that they do something that ends up being mildly beneficial. Like, oh, you should go for a walk to clear your head. I should, shouldn't I? And that's Hawk Masterson. No, well, that's that's her, uh, the good witch's dad. Okay. Or father-in-law, if I forget which. But mm. um, yeah, he's just this kindly guy who like fixes things and... That's his whole bag. It's uh, so I was like, oh, Hawk Masterson is a descendant of the guy from the Good Witch. It's all canon. <laughs> it's all canon. <laughs> Don't let me have this. The no, second, it's, it's fine. It's the fine. second guy I recognize yeah. is the actor who plays Lieutenant Michael Tank Ellis, uh, who's played by Sven Ole Thorson, mm. uh, who was in a ton of movies in right. the 1980s. You know, he he was a bodybuilder. He was a stunt guy, and yeah, he was you know like in Conan movies and Red Sonja. He, he was in a lot of Schwarzenegger. Did, films. Yeah, did a lot. I think he was uh, Schwarzenegger's uh, like stunt performer, stunt double for a lot of stuff because mm. he was also this gigantic bodybuilder. Um, he's actually larger than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah, but Sven Ola Thorsen, uh, you you probably recognize the name if you were weaned on 80s action films. Yeah, he was, I'll run it down, uh, he was in Conan the Barbarian, I'm talking about movies where he's actually in them, not as a stunt guy. Mm-hmm. He was in Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer, as two different guys. Uh, he was in, he was a, like a small uncredited role in Predator, I think it's just someone who dies. Uh, he's in The Running Man, that's probably one of his more prominent roles. Uh, he was in Red Heat, he was in Twins... Uh, he was in The Hunt for Red October. Um, he was in Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe, because of course he fucking was. Um, anyway, he's he's. this is actually one of the few times he gets like a real character because he's part of this team. He actually has like lines and stuff. Um, we actually find out over the course of the series. Oh, by the way, Hawk, his whole thing is he's a veteran and he's seen some shit and his son died in the previous war. 
That's his whole backstory. We, we um, don't learn a lot about the backstory of these characters. Mostly. Yeah. There's there's one exception, though. Uh, Tank... Well, 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 Pilot has an yeah. interesting backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Tank, we find out in one episode that he is one of a small group of people who were, like, genetically modified by Dread. So there's, like... That's why he's so big and strong, and that's why he can handle all this, like, giant tank armor that no one else can handle. We meet one other guy who's part of that program, and they have a beef, and they're gonna fight. And That's basically it. I wish they'd explored that a little bit more. The one thing I noticed about Tank is I think they realized about halfway through the season that Tank had no personality. And then in, like, the last third of the series, he starts making jokes constantly. He's just <laughs> constantly true. making bad I jokes. I thought they were just kind of giving him some more lines like I, I it wasn't until near the end of the series that they started focusing on the human characters a little bit more yeah um yeah really kind of came together then uh there was also um scout baker played by the guy from cube yeah and, and the guy who married hedvig in the angry inch yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a, a estimable actor as near yeah. as i can tell um yes uh, in, in case you couldn't tell this is canadian show it's uh, a mostly canadian yeah. show there's a lot of canadian, actors, canadian show up actors in it. um and uh scout's whole deal with the we never find out scout's backstory except like he grew up like really poor and like his mom was killed by dread but that's about it well that's that's most of the human characters we meet actually true mm-hmm. uh but scout's whole deal and he actually gets some cool action sequences out of this is he can actually like put a hologram around him so he can look like one of dread soldiers and infiltrate mm-hmm. bases um and he's fun he's just a fun action hero type character um next up and then there's jennifer pilot chase yeah jennifer pilot chase played by jessica steen her whole thing is she was one of the dread youth which of course is an analog for the hitler youth Mm. and much like finn in the beginning of the force awakens we find out that there was on like her first mission like outside like the brainwashing training camp where she grew up which is actually also a little bit like she-ra um, the new Shira. Um, she uh, was part of or, or saw a massacre and did nothing to stop it. And that's when she had her crisis of conscience and realized everything she's learning is wrong. And then shortly after, she met Captain Power and, and then joined up with the Power Force. And she she grew up believing that fascism was right. Mm. And in particular, this weird machine fascism that also believed that all humanity, like even human emotions, were bad. And so. I don't know if they didn't know this at the beginning of the series, but after a few episodes, they start kind of throwing in little bits of this before they explore it. Like there's this one bit where someone like sneaks into their headquarters and she's just on a computer, like doing like research on things and she's researching basic human emotions and she's trying to find out more about what love is because it was not given to her. Mm. And I really do think that makes her the strongest character because she's actually got something she's living with and exploring and guilt and and redemption. Well, she also has the brightest set of skills. She's the most capable character. And yeah, she she really is the most human one. Jonathan Power, just by dint of his name alone. Yeah. Uh, now, all of these characters, they're really broad. They're really fun. Tank and Hawk. And you can pretend I want to be the flying guy. I want to be the strong guy. I want to be the pilot. These, these are all really cool characters. Yeah. The premise of the show is so fucking dour. It's really grim that uh, it's it. It almost feels like like uh, J. Michael Trashinsky wanted to do something way more adult and complex than this. I would. Uh, it's it's uh, and that's true for a lot of J. Michael Trashinsky's stuff when he got like 
more free reign. If you look mm. at like some of the um, the early episodes of the real Ghostbusters when J. Michael Straczynski was in charge, it took him like 12 episodes to figure out the show. But after a bit, real it's fast. It's also not a good show to revisit. Well, later on it is, actually. There's yeah. some good episodes like after that early chunk. But um, there were shows being produced for the network, which I want to say was ABC at the time. But there were also shows being made exclusively for syndication, which had fewer restrictions on what kind of content could be in it. And mm. those shows were dark mm. and creepy and actually had some mm. really good writing in them. And whenever he had some free reign, two things happened. One, the show got good and the show got good ratings. Right. <laughs> That's something and, that and happened. The show, and the show also got violent. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a conceit from this show, which he had carried, J. Michael Straczynski ended up carrying over into Babylon 5, was the little warp holes. Mm. Uh, a big thing about Babylon 5 is they can sort of create wormholes, and that's how fleets of starships travel around the galaxy. Yeah. They kind of go through these little mini miniature black holes. And, he, he didn't and, work on the show, but that ended up being a plot point on Farscape as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was that's something in Captain Power. That's how the human beings are able to travel around undetected in the, the machine empire. Yeah. Uh, this is essentially uh, the same premise as Terminator Salvation, uh -huh. where the machines have risen up, They've taken over the world, essentially. Yeah. The, the machines are in charge now. Yeah. Uh, they are led by Lord Dredd, who is this human being who's wired directly into the machines. He's, he's, he's a played, Borg who's been assimilated. Yeah, he's played by David Hemblin, um, who uh, is a hardworking uh, Canadian actor. He's probably best known for, for voicing Magneto in X-Men the Animated Series in the 1990s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's got a great voice, and he really bites into this role. He's a, and it's not like kind of a wicked cackling villain. He's actually very serious and kind of scary. It's actually he's he's got more interesting stuff going on with his character than I mm. thought going in. Um, the show you you compared it to Terminator, and I think mm. that's fair. The show I kept thinking of when I thought about the structure of Captain Power is actually the original Battlestar Galactica, which right. also begins with the robots winning the war against the humans. And also, every time we cut to the bad guys, it's the one human character sitting on a throne room talking to a couple of robots about what the plot for the week is. Yeah, which is go. the exact same format Captain Power follows mm. mostly. There's a few episodes where they mm. break it. Because, like, Lord Dredd barely gets out of that chair for most of the series. Like, it's mm. a pretty... Yeah, the makeup's hard, but other than that, it's a pretty easy gig. And I think <laughs> David Hemblin actually does a lot with it. And mm. I think what's kind of neat about it is when we finally find out, like... What happened? What was this whole story? Um, is uh, David Hemblin was a scientist who was working with an artificial intelligence called Overmind, and he started to link up his brain to Overmind, and the Overmind started taking over his own consciousness to the point where he betrayed humanity and started to become part machine himself. But we see over the course of this series that he's more human than he's willing to acknowledge. And there's a couple of episodes in which he lets sentiment get in the way of his better judgment. And that's mm. how Captain Power is allowed to win. That sounds like kind of corny, but I think in the better episodes, they actually make it work. And it actually feels like, Oh, like what's going to be his ultimate downfall? Will he, will he get rid of all of his humanity and become pure machine? Or will he eventually turn mm. on the machines as well and find his humanity yeah. again? That's, um, that's pretty good drama for a kid's show about good versus evil. I, I suppose so, but uh, the humans that we meet in this machine-driven wasteland mm. are all living in, like, junkyards. Yep. There is one episode where they go to, like, an underground bar. So there is, like, some semblances of of uh, actual civilization still remaining. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the only human beings we see are the soldiers 
who I don't like. They don't have a lot to eat. Yeah. There's a late episode where they talk about having seltzer. It's like, well, this is what we got instead of champagne. We have sparkling water. Look, an orange. You know, they, yeah, they get re- freak out because they get an orange they're, once. They're, it's like the best thing they've ever. So found. they're they're kind of starving. All yeah. they have left is violence to fend off these machines that will not just kill them. But digitize them, like turn them into information and plug them into the, the central Unimatrix. And in the first episode, actually, and I suspect they're aired out of order because the first episode isn't a very good introduction. Mm. Um, but the first episode was called Shattered. Uh, and in this, ep- this episode opens with a big, exciting action sequence, which is why I, su- I suspect it was the first show that they showed. Because mm. it just opens with Scout infiltrating a robot compound. They blow up some stuff. It's actually like excitingly produced the editing's good the score is actually atypically good for any show in the 1980s mm. regardless of genre like they really are selling it and that's like half the episode right there and then it turns out captain power gets a mysterious message from a woman from his past from before the the metal wars no white snake wasn't fighting rat in the street <laughs> it's just what they decided to call their cool wars <laughs> Um, but uh, he gets a message from a woman from his past and it turns out that she had been digitized by Lord Dread, and he let her out in order to lure Captain Power into a trap but her she decided to betray Lord Dread not by escaping with Captain Power but by trying to kill him so that he wouldn't go through the horrors of being digitized mm. which when she describes it makes it sound like the worst fucking thing ever like, it's not like, oh, and it's fine, we're in this world of pure information. Like, no, it's like that Harlan Ellison story, I have no mouth yet, I must scream. <laughs> it just sounds like a fucking nightmare. And he ends up rescuing her, and, like, she's gonna, like, they imply that she's gonna join the Resistance, but we never see her again. But basically, there is, like, a group of people that Captain Power has been saving, and they've been living in an underground bunker or something somewhere. Um, but they only come up when the plot needs them to. Most of the time, it's just Captain Power and his soldiers of the future. Um, we don't have a lot of time. So every, every yeah. bit of uh, uh, expansion of the actual world that they live in yeah. uh, is it's very brief. It's, it's bullet points, basically. Yeah. There's an action sequence. Usually, here's the basic every episode. Big action sequence that may or may not have anything to do with anything. Where, where the good guys are getting away from, yeah. from a bad guy who's found them and is chasing them. Yeah. Uh, Usually Sauron, the CGI pterodactyl yeah. man. Yeah, the, the two CGI characters, Blastar shows up halfway through the season. He's like created halfway through, mm-hmm. but mostly it's Sauron. Sauron is this big flying pterodactyl robot man who apparently flies all around America. And whenever Captain Power shows up, Lord Dread tells Sauron, go get him and mm. Sauron can be there in minutes. Yeah. So he's this constant threat. It makes it means that Captain Power can never feel comfortable. There's always and, uh, something on his tail and Sauron is actually even though you can like blow him up, he's self-repairing so he's never blown up for long. Mm. So I like that. It's a little bit of a threat. Well, and the fact that they designed that creature out of CGI uh, makes it seem even more like pointy and threatening and inhuman. Yeah. If they put another guy in a suit, it wouldn't have seemed as scary. No, I don't think so at all. I think, no, I think you needed it to be that. I mean, maybe you could have made it like, no, because I think even if they had made like a really ornate suit, Mm -hmm. it would have looked like Power Rangers. It would have looked like kind of cheesy. Like maybe they could have gotten away with it, but the CGI is weird and ethereal. Mm -hmm. It works. Um, uh, So the next episode is called The Abyss. Uh, in this episode, uh, Captain Power runs into a general who has been fighting the fight all by his lonesome. Captain Power is, I mean, it's five people, 
and they had this teleportation machine that allows them to fight basically allows five people to fight an entire like country's worth of battles at once but they can only be in so many places at one time and then they always vanish so a lot of people think of captain power as kind of an urban legend mm-hmm. you know like oh there's no real captain power so this guy doesn't believe captain power is a real thing and he has basically turned colonel kurtz yeah. And he's just leading his men um, into probably certain death. And he doesn't believe in hope or anything like that. And when he gets Captain Powers, he's going to torture him to death and kill him. And then in the end, the robots attack and he's digitized. Uh, this show's view of humanity is so bleak yeah. uh, that the people they meet are either starving to death or tortured. And or if insane. They've, yeah, if they've survived, then they've been broken by their experience in the war. So they're really willing to sell people out uh, or they just have no hope whatsoever. They're really bitter. It's like, oh, Captain Power, what are you doing? Stop fighting the machines. Our lives are bad enough. Yeah. There's so much hate and misery in this show called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future for kids. Now, this is one of the reasons why, and I think J. Michael Straczynski mm. has talked about this, why the show kind of was doomed. Mm. Um, there's a lot of things about this show that are actually really ambitious and interesting and a lot of things about the show that couldn't possibly work together. One, crazy expensive. Yeah. This is a million dollar an episode, half hour show. This isn't like Friends ended up costing that much because it was a hit show and they could afford to pay people that much. It's starting off as a kid's show. Mm. It's syndication, so it's hard to find. It's not even necessarily in every market and they moved it around a lot so it's hard to get people invested. It's clearly written so that adults could enjoy it because there's a lot of really high stakes and people die and there's a lot of like Nazi allegory and it's really grim. Uh, but it's called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future and it's clearly designed to sell toys to children. Mm. So it's, if you're an adult, you might have trouble watching this because mm. every once in a while it gets really juvenile and stupid. And if you're a kid, you're watching it and it's actually almost a little hard to follow because a lot of the stuff that they're referencing is like really adult and dour. Yeah. I, I remember uh, when, I, when I was working at Blockbuster Video, this is going to be a very 90s story. Ooh. Uh, one of the producers of the TV series Freakazoid came in. Now, Freakazoid was a show I really loved in high school and in college because it came out in the late 90s and uh, it came out the year I graduated high school and I and other people my age were watching this show. We didn't know any kids who were watching this show Mm. and uh, other college kids as well. So I got to talk to one of the producers when I was working at Blockbuster Video and I asked what was the deal? Why was this show so short-lived? Clearly you had a really good idea. This was a hilarious show. Yeah. I was naive. I didn't know from, you know, I just thought it's good. It should last. And it makes sense. Yeah. That's what should work. And they said, they actually said to me, you don't know how many people your age have come up to me and asked me that exact same question. And the problem is it's all people your age. Yeah. Uh, you guys are getting up in the, you know, 18, 19 year olds are getting up early in the morning, having cereal, maybe taking a big bong rip and watching Freakazoid <laughs> And having a wonderful time. But are you sticking around for those ads and buying Cap'n Crunch and the toy ads exactly. that are going in between? The demographics don't quite fit. And as such, those shows are going to fail. They're it's not, not even, moving product. It's not even a demographic problem. It's mm. the idea that a show can't just be a show if it's designed for kids. It has to sell kids exactly. things. Exactly. It has, it has to well, steal money from their parents. That's true of adult th- uh, shows as well. If if and nobody but nine-year-olds started watching Jeopardy, 
the Metamucil people would be up in arms. Right, but other advertisers would no, but other advertisers would jump on no. and they would sell stuff to nine year olds. Like no. why can't and I realize it's hard to like sell stuff to eighteen year olds in the middle of this like Saturday morning. You can't exactly. have a commercial for Scream in the middle of Saturday yeah, morning cartoons. Then yeah. again, why not? I don't care. Or, you know, you rock the vote and buy some cigarettes, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> Think that, I think uh, that would be legitimately worth okay, maybe, complaining yeah. about I, if they're I selling cigarettes. So. But <laughs> this is exactly what's happening with Captain Power. It, it yeah. Because the show is actually relatively sophisticated and is dealing with pretty dark subject matter and is essentially skewing older in terms of its tone, then you're losing the kid marketplace that you've put it in the middle of. So mm. I understand that the people of the show are probably very creatively stymied and felt a little bit frustrated by all this because they had these big ideas, but they're also shooting themselves in the foot yeah. because they're not working within the parameters they've been given. No, they know. Like I, I, I wrote about this um, in a roundabout way when uh, I wrote about the movie Terminator Genesis, mm. because one of the things that I argued in an editorial about that movie was the movie was predicated on a series of twists that happened in the first half of the movie. Mm. You cannot market the movie without revealing those twists. Right. Because if you don't reveal those twists, there's nothing interesting looking about the film. People aren't going to care. And if you reveal the twists, people who do see the movie are going to be bored because they're way ahead of the movie. And I interviewed like some of the filmmakers and they were talking about how, yeah, you know, we don't aren't in control of the marketing and mm. we weren't thinking about that when we were writing the movie. And I think when you're making a franchise thing, you should think about that yeah. because you know you're making a Terminator movie that's going to cost $200 million. They're going to have to advertise the hell out of this thing. You can't put twists in the first act like that and expect them to stay twists. You just can't. So I think on some level it does behoove writers to be aware of what kind of thing am I writing? Mm-hmm. Is it the kind of thing that's going to be marketed in such a way that the way I'm writing it will shoot it in the foot and it doesn't even get to exist? It sucks that we have to think about that, but that mm. is the universe in which we well, make if, this kind of media because this media isn't cheap. If, if it costs a lot yeah, to make a TV series. If you are in sort of this golden age when a lot of more TV series now can be a lot more creator-oriented, yes. then that's okay. And you can actually sure. explore a little bit, especially when you're not dealing with advertisers in the same sort of way. And now you're dealing with subscriptions and, and mm-hmm. streaming services. I imagine so the landscape has changed I've, in a lot of ways. I, I, the landscape has definitely changed. But yeah, again, if you're making a big feature film, this big multi-hundreds-of-million-dollar feature film, and yeah creativity isn't really welcome in that kind of space. Yeah. I wish it were. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like Terminator Genesis, but I, at, at the very least, appreciate how ballsy it was in just sort of rewriting every last bit of Terminator yeah, history. I don't think it was very I thought good. It was, but... uh, yeah, I think they're dumb ideas, but at least they had ideas. Yeah. Um, let's move... just repeat it again. Let's move on. Uh, the next episode is called Final Stand, and this is the only episode we have that focuses on Tank as a character. And in the episode, uh, there's a bad guy who came from the same, like, genetic engineering compound, which I only just learned this online. I think I missed it in the show. That compound, that genetically engineered tank and the bad guy in this episode, was called Babylon 5. (laughs) Yep. Nice. Um, But, uh, yeah. Which was the name of a TV program from the (laughs) the mid-1990s. Yeah. That made J. Michael Straczynski, like, a household name to sci-fi nerds. Um... But, uh, yeah, the bad guy is also a big, hulking, mean dude, and he's going to kidnap some people, and he's going to kill them, unless Tank fights him to the death. 
<coughs> so there's this big fight between two muscly guys, and they're throwing each other through walls and shit. <coughs> Excuse me. It looks really expensive. They clearly, like, got two bruisers who could, you know, throw themselves into a fight like that. And there's this one bit right at the end where Tank actually talks about how, like, you know, I tried to put that part of me behind. You know, I was genetically engineered in order to be an instrument of war, but I liked hitting that guy. <laughs> and I feel really conflicted by it. And then Captain Power's like, yeah, but you did it to save people. He did it to hurt them. And Tank's just like... There's, there's splitting hairs here. It's kind of yeah. like I did still enjoy it though, didn't I? <laughs> and you're kind of you're kind of missing my existential plight, but yeah, I guess that's true. Sorry, I got a little something in my throat. Right. Uh, take, the next, take a sip of water. There. Yeah, the next episode is called Pariah. This um, is the the plague episode. Yeah, which is it's not a great episode. Um, well, it's, it's not a great episode, but it it lends to what I was talking about. How in in the future everybody is just so miserable. Yeah, there is no levity in this show. Not a lot. Like Captain Power, I, I guess Pilot is the only one who uh, has like some modulation in her character where she's mm. not just steely determination the whole uh, time. Scout's kind of funny. He's kind of, yeah, I guess so. Scout's kind of funny. He doesn't get a lot of screen time most of the time, but whenever Scout is... He's usually in the background of most shots. He's, yeah. like, the, one of the supporting players, unfortunately. Yeah, whenever he gets, like, some highlight stuff in, like, an action sequence, it's always cool, though. Mm. Um, I would have I loved well, to have played with a Scout action figure. I would have had a lot of fun with it. The action sequences are, for the most part, pretty cool. Uh, this yeah. is uh, it, it was expensive to make, but if you're looking at it, and you're looking at it sort of through modern lens, it, the production value is going to look kind of cheap. It was yeah. shot... Partly on film, partly on video. Yeah, uh, a, a lot, lot of the, warehouses, yeah. a lot of generic desert mm. sets. But you got to realize this is a lot of practical sets. This is a lot mm. of production design yeah, yeah, for a live action kids show in the eighties. Mm. A lot of live action kids so, shows in the eighties did not put and, like uh, would do like two sets a show. Mm. You know, like that would be mm. it. And and here's the thing: I think I prefer something that looks like this, mm. where they're stretching and using a lot of like tone and acting to convey the intensity of the emotions rather than gigantic slick production design. Mm -hmm. Like, can you imagine something like this in the modern age where they just have gigantic CGI backgrounds and swirling cameras that zoom down tunnels? Emerald city. Yeah. Emerald. You'd get Emerald city. It's it's impressive um, looking, but it's distracting. Yeah. Uh, I, I know uh, the show has a lot of fans, but The Expanse was uh, another one of these. I, didn't see that. I, I saw a few episodes of The Expanse and was actually <coughs> turned off by how expansive it was. Yeah, it's like we're going to create this whole world, and all these different factions are fighting, and some are in space, and some are underground, and we use these CGI vistas, create these underground vistas, and yeah, okay, this is impressive design, and clearly a lot of thought and energy went into creating these spaces, but. That's not what I'm here for necessarily. You know, yeah. I feel like something like Captain Power w- focuses a little bit more on the actors and the scenario, well, and it helps that to get you know the the, the drama and, the and it helps that it. they have kind of a unified aesthetic. Everything mm-hmm. in this country has been really bombed out, mm-hmm. so basically all you got to do is take any location and make it look bad. Mm-hmm. That's it. We're good. There's a couple of times later in the episode where we go full cyberpunk, mm-hmm. and things are a little bit more. Um, in the, uh, oh, who's the guy who did Snow Crash? Um, oh, uh, that William guy. William Randolph Hearst. No. <laughs> who's the guy who did Snow Crash? The guy did Snow Crash. Yeah, yeah. I, I never, somebody gave it to me and I never read it. Uh, why am I, this is so embarrassing. Uh, well, was, oh, that's Neil Stevenson. That's not who I was thinking of at the oh. time, but Neil Stevenson is an example. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, in this episode, 
Um, Hawk gets like shot down. He's the guy who can fly. Mm-hmm. He gets shot down, and he ends up protecting a teenage boy who reminds him a lot of his son, uh, who who died previously in uh, one because of the Metal of Wars. Because of course he did. Because of course he did. No, uh, nothing pleasant in this program. And the twist is that Dredd wants this kid and he wants him alive because the kid actually carries a deadly plague that Dredd wants to use to exterminate the rest of humanity. Um, they're able to save the kid and engineer a cure pretty quick and off camera. Mm-hmm. Makes you realize it wasn't much of a plan if <laughs> Captain Power could solve it that bad. But um, And at the end, the kid, like agrees to, like, take Hawk's son's name, and they're, like, friends, and we never see that kid again. (laughs) Seems like it's gonna be a big deal. We never see that kid again, and it's (laughs) hilarious. Um, The next up, we have an episode uh, called A Fire in the Dark. This is the one where we start to see that there's more to Dread than just generic villain. Um, Dread wants to create a new species of... Uh, what, he, what they call bio-dreads, which are mm-hmm. more than robots, but not quite human either. They can think for themselves, and they can like regenerate themselves. They're super-powered robots. Uh, this, by the way, was before the inception of the Borg. Yes. A, a lot of this design is very Borgish, and the motivation of the villain to essentially create purity in the world by ridding humanity of its problems and replacing it with machine parts... Mm-hmm. Uh, is something that would come into Star Trek pretty heavily. And and this is the kind of like stock sci-fi thing that had been in play for a bit. You may have mm. noticed this was in something like Beyond Westworld, which we already covered, but it wasn't the popular thing it is now. So mm. it's, it's kind of novel. Um, but the thing is, is that Lord Dread is unhappy with the designs of the creatures. They don't seem right to him. And he realizes that they are that making... There's a design problem. There's a design problem in these things, mm. and it goes beyond functionality. It's an it's aesthetic. It's an aesthetic mm. issue, and there's something that they're missing life, basically. And he realizes that what they need to create these things is an artist. And it turns out Lord Dread actually knew an artist, mm. and you get the impression he had real feelings for her. But in the Metal Wars, she was blinded, and he doesn't know if she's alive anymore. But he finds her... And he kidnaps her, and he gives her her sight back, and he says, in exchange, you know, just come work for me, and I'll give you back the world. And Captain Power rescues her, and he, Captain Power, like, it's interesting, actually, because there's nothing in it for Captain Power if he lets this woman go with Lord Dread, but he does say it's her decision to make. Mm. And there's something interestingly heroic about that. Impractical. But interesting, because he should just say, no, we're not doing this, you're coming with me. But he gives her the opportunity, and she tells Lord Dread to fuck off. Mm. Like, you've given me my sight back. All I can do is see what you've done to the world. I don't need it. I'm not just going to get my sight back to build more robots for you. Fuck you. And so she leaves him. And Lord Dread, you can tell he's actually a little hurt. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought this was, I thought it was like reaching out and like reconnecting with my humanity. And I've never been that human, have mm. I? Chose to destroy itself rather than live with us. Can't help but feel a little rejected. <laughs> Uh, the next episode is called The Mirror in the Darkness. It's, uh, very Star Trek titles, too. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is the one with the uh, imposter Captain Power. Yeah, we open with a bunch of people, and they run into Captain Power, and this has happened a lot. He just runs into people in the wasteland, mm-hmm. says, I'm Captain Power, I will save you from these robots, and then I'll whisk you away to our underground civilization where we're trying to take care of everybody. But instead of doing that, he just summons Sauron, and he kills everybody. <laughs> it's really fucked up. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and of course, the real Captain Power has to show up, and nobody believes he's the real Captain Power, mm. and they try to kill him. But then the other Captain Power shows up, and they mm. fight. It's a generic episode. It's fine. <laughs> I got nothing, nothing about it is special. Mm. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, the previous episode, Fire in the Dark. About the blind artist. Mm. Uh, that was written by Marv Wolfman, who is a very, very important comic book writer. Oh, okay. Um, he was responsible for stuff like the New Teen Titans, which kind of put DC Comics in a new direction in the 1980s. And I believe he wrote or co-wrote Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was this one of the mm-hmm. most one of the most like game-changing miniseries in comic book history. Like a really big deal. Yeah, that's that's the one where they realized they had too many parallel universes. Yeah, and they destroyed and they just, them all. Yeah, like, and they and they combined the ones that they had left so that everyone existed in the same universe now. And, the, uh, the Etch-a-Sketch yeah. solution. And it gave everyone and gave them an opportunity to reboot certain characters for modern sensibilities and after crisis and infinite earths that's when uh lex luthor went from being a mad scientist to being a character explicitly based on donald trump (laughs) as a as a big you know entrepreneur Mm. who is also cartoonishly evil Mm. cough uh the next episode he he was a villain in media everyone knew years and years the next episode is called the ferryman Mm. um and uh, this is, um, oh, I don't even well, the, remember the, right the, now. This is where we're actually starting to lay the groundwork as to a larger story going on here. Yeah. And we learn about uh, the Biodread Empire's plan to wipe out the rest of humanity. They have this yeah. like sort of four-course meal planned for humanity to uh, digitize all of them or use various weapons in order to just kill them all off. Mm. It's, it's like just a big end game and they yeah. start learning details about this multi-pronged plan yeah. that the Biodread Empire has. Uh, th- a lot of these episodes sort of fade in together because a lot of them are basically action sequence, action sequence, one bullet point action sequence. Well, and also we watched them in a pretty condensed period. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot of them start to blend together. Maybe we can start taking a little bit more of a, a broad uh, tack to this. Cause, well, I'm just, we're, we're, um, we're humming along right now. Um, let's see. Uh, the next one is called And Study war no more and this one they find a secret civilization of people who are living in a utopian society but of course we find out that they're only living in a utopian society because they're working for lord dread and they are luring people mm. uh, in, under the promise of a better life and actually they're just giving them yeah. to lord dread for his various brainwashing and digitization mm-hmm. experiments um this is the episode where we really start to deal with the fact that pilot uh was part of the the dread youth and there's a whole bit where they're in this like underground compound and she sees the the line from the bible study one or more and you know and she realizes that oh that's a good idea someone should some is that in a book like they're just like yeah that's kind of a big deal that book we can we can loan you that book like and you start to realize that she's like got more going on than we've seen before yeah. um Let's see. The next episode is called The Intruder. And this one, a guy sneaks into Captain Power's base, ostensibly so that he can like show how cool he is and he can join Captain Power. And Captain Power is like, nah. And then that's the episode. Well, it was fine. He, it's he okay. Gets, he gets him in trouble because he's not ready for combat and we realize how hard their job is. Yeah. It actually takes a lot of like hard work and hard thinking. It's 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 weird to put that in a show because this is essentially the audience surrogate. 
Yeah. This is some kid who really wants to be part of it, where I want to be junior Captain Powell. Well, he's not that young, to no, be fair. But, this isn't like a 12-year-old. This no, is just like a guy in his 20s. This, yeah. this, this is somebody who's on the outside who wants to get in, and this is the character that the little kids can say, oh, yeah, I can do that. I just want to meet the guy, and he'd definitely keep, put me on the team. Yeah. Give me a power suit, coach. And <laughs> Captain Power says no. Yeah. This is too hard. and the, Our show is too serious. You can't have it, children. <laughs> you Get your greasy fingerprints all over it. I'm going to give it to these older kids. Yeah, but they're not watching. It's, older kid, Come back. I have the toy. No, older kids. The next episode is called War Dogs. And this one's cool because it's got Graham Greene in it. Yeah, uh, not even as like a featured player. He's just yeah. in it. Well, it's interesting because Graham Greene, um, who you probably know from Dances with Wolves, where he got an Academy Award nomination. Uh, he's had a lot of major roles. He was in the Ishii, Last of His Tribe. It was a big HBO movie in the 90s. Great man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really, a, really great actor. But he's a he, maverick. Yeah, really, really great actor. He's been in everything. But I looked this up because I watched this episode. And I'm like, it's weird that he's like the third lead guest star. He's got some lines. Mm. He's he's part of a group of um, a group of rebels that Hawk runs into, and it turns out he knew their leader, and they have a a short romance. But then she's gonna take her a team of war dogs, hence the title, uh, to find a place called Eden Two, which is uh, basically this this fairy safe. tale that people yeah. believe that there's somewhere that's safe from Lord Dread and where everything is fine. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Graham Greene is uh, actually he's in this, but. He wasn't a big actor yet. In fact, you look at his filmography, he had a bunch of little roles and things. It wasn't until Dance with Wolves that he became, like, getting bigger projects. Okay. So this is actually in keeping with his career, but it's kind of surreal to see him play such a minor character. Because <laughs> he was such a, a major player after that. And he's a really good actor. He's one of those actors who will do anything. Uh-huh. Like, you'll see him in, like, Asylum movies, and he's kind of sleepwalking through it a little bit. But you give him a real role. He's great. He's great in The Green Mile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a really uh... good actor. Um, let's see. It's really uh, funny too. Uh, next up, we have the uh, the first cyberpunk episode called Flame Street, and here they go to a cyberpunk club where everyone is talking in all kinds of cyberpunk lingo. Uh-huh. You can tell they had a lot of fun writing this episode, and they hook Captain Power up to virtual reality where Lord Dread starts messing with his head in virtual reality. This, this is was, in 1987. This is actually pretty ahead of its time like, for the, the era this, when it this comes to virtual reality. Yeah, this is way before Johnny Mnemonic. Mm-hmm. This was even several years before The Lawnmower Man. Yeah, yeah the cyberpunk wasn't a thing yet, except yeah. unless you were one of the kids who played Shadowrun. Yeah, like, it, it was out there in fiction, but it wasn't mainstream yet. Mm-hmm. And so this might have been a lot of people's, like, first introduction to this kind of cyberpunk shit. And it's a deep dive into it. Like, well, they're the, not the explaining any of, of the lingo or nothing. The entire idea of digitizing a human being, like putting their consciousness inside of a computer. You know, if you read science fiction novels, you're getting, you know, a primer on a lot of this stuff. A lot of the stuff yeah. showed up in comics. But in terms of, like, film and television, this was new. Mm. And these ideas are, are kind of heady. I imagine if I had seen this when I was, like, eight years old. It would have blown my fucking mind. <laughs> like <laughs> my brain, like my brain can just be a computer now. What's happened to my? Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> Wait a minute. What's going on here? How do I get out? Oh, I don't. I'm just electricity. Yeah. So how do I perceive? Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, they introduce a lot of the stuff that people, a lot of people, would only figure out like from the Matrix. Like if you die in the computer, it will send signals to your brain, and your brain will die. Mm. Yeah, it's made up, but like that's something that people just sort of accept about that kind of fiction now, and. To their credit, Captain Power did it. Mm. Maybe not first, but earlier than most. Good for them. Mm. That's weird. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have uh, Gemini and Counting. 
Uh, this is the one where uh, there's a plague, another one, hmm. uh, that is affecting all the people that Captain Power saved. And Pilot needs to go back undercover as one of the Dread Youth in order to steal hmm. medical supplies. So a lot of stakes here. Actually, mm-hmm. I like this. This is a pretty good episode. And she runs into someone I who... Think, I think it's because Pilot is the most interesting character. By far. Yeah. But it's, this is an episode that focuses on her and her journey. And she runs into someone who is basically a younger version of her. They they look alike. You know, they're both like young women, same height. In fact, I forbid I thought they were going to find out they were sisters. <laughs> uh, and uh, she fully believes everything Dredd has told her. And in the end, Pilot gives her like this option. Like, hey, listen, you know... I shot you but then I came back and I you know I healed your wound with all this medical stuff and everything and you see that Captain Power isn't the villain you thought they should be and that human emotions are not the worst thing in the world and right now you have a gun to my head and you can shoot me if you want or I'm just gonna leave or you mm. can come with me mm. you have three options and she is just so stupefied by having a choice that she just stands there <laughs> and it's actually pretty good drama <laughs> it's not bad it's, it's not bad the show's not bad it's no, it's not like it's it's rushed and you know mm. a little blunt, but it's, it's not bad. It's it's a good like good for teens hour drama that was distilled down to a, a thirty minute kid show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an mm. episode called Judgment. Is, uh, is this the drugs episode where they he drinks like the tainted tank drinks the tainted water and goes nuts? Oh my god! I think I didn't see that episode. Oh, <laughs> whoops! Okay, I think I missed an episode. Tell well, me about uh, this is old and madness shall and rain. Madness shall rain. Tell yeah, me about um, this episode. I think I think I skipped it. Ev- somehow. Everybody's going crazy because they're drinking tainted water. There's ah. drugs in the water supply, and uh, yeah, uh, tank goes a little bit violent, and they find this community of people who are all going completely insane. Okay, it, so I guess it, there are two tank episodes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, Tank doesn't. It, it's more about just sort of the insanity of the town. Right? Ah. Captain Power has to go in and, and essentially fight off insane people and and f- you know get get them off of the stuff. Um, yeah. It it just continues to highlight how miserable life is in the future. Mm. You can't even drink water. Nice. Uh, the next episode is called Judgment. This mm. is another great pilot episode because at the beginning of the episode, Captain Power is injured in the desert and Pilot needs to walk to the nearest settlement in order to find help. Mm. Problem is she gets to the settlement And people at that settlement remember her From back when she was a dread youth And apparently she was there when their families Got slaughtered So instead of helping She actually gets to face face off against her And she has to admit to what she did And what she was a part of Mm. And she gets And she has to plead She's like listen You're not wrong I was one of the dread youth I did horrible things I was party to horrible things all I can say in my defense is when I found out how horrible they were, I left and I've been trying to atone, mm. but you're not wrong, but you really should save Captain Power because he's dying out there. And then, of course, you know, the bad guys show up. Oh, at some point in the middle here, we run into uh, Blastar, who is the land based version of mm. Sauron. He's got tank feet. He's got he's got. Well, and they, they look like roller skates, too. Like I started singing the Xanadu theme in my head when well, he started and- rolling around at him. Well, at one, at one point he he just sort of like hunkers down and will tank across the the ground. But then at some point they did start animating him as if he's skating. Yeah, like with the the ice skater's body movements. Yeah, it's kind and of it's funny, kind, kind of ridiculous looking. Yeah, but he's basically uh, uh, Sauron is basically Starscream. Uh, well, he just sounds like Starscream. He starts like flies around like Starscream. Yeah, but he's, he's, he's smart. He's, he's he's confident and smart, and he's not trying to like constantly undermine. Uh, 
Judge, Judge Dredd. Except for the not being Iago bit. Yeah, he, other than that, he's basically a starscape. Uh, Blastar is basically a big dumb brute. Mm. But he's really, really, really powerful. And like Sauron, it's a threat when he shows up, as it should be. Um, so, uh, so Blastar shows up. They have to fight off Blastar. They fight off Blastar. Good for them. Uh, next up, we have a two-part episode called A Summoning of Thunder. And it is the anniversary of Captain Power's father's death. So we get uh, we get the pilot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, I forgot to mention Captain Power's father has digitized himself, kind of, so that he is the face of their computer. He's kind of like, uh, um, oh, what was the the big face in the tube in Power Rangers? Zordon. Z- Zordon. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit, except he's more clear. Uh, but uh, so he's, there's a couple of episodes where the uh, the computer, which they call Mentor, uh, is actually at risk. And Captain Powers, just, and they're just like, well, it is just a computer. It's like, yeah, it's also kind of my dad. So I, I don't want <laughs> well, anything bad to happen to Mentor. And we learn in this pilot, which comes halfway through the series, that uh, we get to see what Lord Dread, Lord Dread looked like. Before he was uh, turned into Lord Dread, yeah, uh, we and we get to meet Captain Power's father and what was going on with uh, sort of the outbreak of the Machine War. Yeah, so the Machine War. I think there had been a whole well, bunch of wars. Society was yeah. on the brink, and, and Captain the, Power's the machine, father was the trying to end were it. Rising up, and yeah. they had this idea to use an artificial intelligence to fight the machines. Problem is, uh, they came up with two artificial intelligences: mm-hmm. a good one and an evil one. That's and, a stupid uh, idea. And uh, why do we need the evil one again? I call him Judge Dread. Lord, because he's not Judge Dread. Lord Dread uh, starts being yeah. His his mind begins getting infected by the evil uh, artificial intelligence, which he thinks is going to help them. But yeah, now he's just sort of completely corrupted. Whereas uh, Captain Power's father is working mm. with the good one that is actually going to help them out, but is not smart enough to see that the bad guys are already taking over. Well, he's, 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 um, naive. He, mm. he believes in the best of things. And there's a, he's a, actually has a good, uh, a bit of dialogue with Hawk in this episode where he talks about how it's his fault mm. that the machines are attacking and the world is going to hell. And Hawk says, it's not really your fault. You gambled. Like you, you tried to make the world a better place. And the gamble didn't pay off, but it wasn't like you were trying to do this. You were trying to do the right thing. And yeah. but Captain pa- uh, Ben, to, but to Doctor Power's credit, he's like, "Yeah, I'm not sure that makes it better. <laughs> I just, I'm really not. Like so they don't really like come to meaningful conclusions about these moral quandaries, which actually is a bit more effective than giving you a pat ending all the time where people come to terms with shit. Mm. It's actually just lingering moral conflict." Um, in any case, over the two-part episode, uh, Lord Dread kidnaps young Captain Power. He doesn't have his uh, bio suits yet, mm. um, or power suits yet. Um, and uh, yeah, Power and Dread fight to the death. Power dies. Dread is mutilated and has to become part machine in order to survive. And Captain Power returns to find these power suits that he can use to fight Lord Dread. And uh, also that his dad created this teleportation technology that no one else has that allows him to five mm. people to basically fight a whole war. Um, and uh, there's also a framing device in which he, uh, Captain Power is going to the grave of his father and Lord Dread knows that he does this. And Lord Dread is told by Overmind and his little robot sidekick, whose literally name is Lackey. Uh, who who that, is a, a puppet. Yeah. An actual puppet, not mm. like a CGI creation. Um, he's told this is a perfect opportunity to kill Captain Power. You should kill Captain Power. And Lord Dread goes and he sees the guy mourning and he's just like, not today. Mm-hmm. And then a little, a little, a little, a little something there. A little, a little, a little, a little actual humanity. A little, a little drama. 
that's kind of nice. Uh, the next episode is called The Eden Road. This is an episode that is clearly setting something up for season two. Uh-huh. Don't, this doesn't really pay off for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the series, but um, we've heard a lot of people talk about. Hopefully, we can go to Eden Two and live mm. uh, live our lives safely and in peace. Captain Power believes this is a fantasy until he is contacted by someone who says, "We know a representative from Eden Two that will only meet you in this place that is like filled with an acid cloud." <laughs> and uh, so they well, go. Nothing suspicious or dangerous about that. Yeah, it's clearly a trap, but it's actually not. And they meet a guy from Eden Two, and to prove it, he has like a real orange, which no one's seen in five years. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, Blastar attacks before they can get all the information that they need. Uh, but, um, yeah, clearly we would go to Eden 2 someday. Like, that was clearly something they wanted to set up and do later. Uh, the next episode is one of my favorites, but not for the good reasons. Uh-oh. Uh, it's called Freedom 1. Mm-hmm. Freedom 1, uh, is about, uh, basically, there, we found out there was a resistance radio station. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah. There's okay. a there is a DJ named Radio One who plays uh, Freedom One, who plays music, but also gives uh, uh, messages to the troops and actually sends coded messages. And this, in, this was the premise of uh, the Lethal Ladies series put out by Andy Sedaris. Oh, I didn't see that one. That I didn't was, see the, when this one came to play. Yeah, this this was one of the conceits that the it's about a bunch of sexy spies living in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, of course, all played by... Uh, Playboy Playmates and Penthouse Pets. Mm. And they are... uh, One of the agents works for this, like, late-night, really breathy, sexy uh, call-in sex show. Mm. Like, sex advice show. And the advice that they put out over the airwaves is actually code for the sexy ladies in bikinis to to get into the action. Okay, I don't remember that plot point. But sending out coded messages over the radio does go back at least as far as World War II. That's an actual yeah. thing that people were doing. Hanoi Hanna in uh, the Vietnam War was using mm. uh, uh, the radio to demoralize American troops. So there's a history with this. Um, it's, it's weird that this is the first time we're hearing about it. Um, my favorite thing, though, is it turns out that Freedom One is actually in danger and Captain Power needs to save her. Mm. So she's running around in the middle of like the wasteland wearing a bright blue, ju- uh, right orange jumpsuit, which basically <laughs> just says, shoot me. I'm a person, not a thing. And uh, she's wearing a helmet and she's shooting off the robots and Captain Power saves her from the robots. She takes off her helmet uh, and then like there's a cut. And then we see she's got the poofiest hair in the world. It's a really awesome hairdo. It's amazing. But I'm like, you were wearing a helmet. And it had no impact whatsoever on the volume of your hairdo. It's huge. It's bouncing and behaving. It's hilarious. Uh, she's played by an actor named Gwyneth Walsh, who we've run into a couple of times. Uh, she was um, in RoboCop, the series. Okay. She was one of the corporate raiders who wanted to hire RoboCop as like a bodyguard. Okay. Um, and she was on Star Trek, um, mm. played a recurring character on Deep Space Nine. I think she was in Generations as well. Um, anyway, it's a fun character. Turns out that it's actually a, like a, a double cross and she's working for Lord Dread and she's just luring them into a trap. Mm. But they stop her. Yep. That's, that's it, really. They stop her. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, and then lastly, we have two two-part episodes. The first one is called New Order Part One. The sky will sh- will the sky shall swallow them, which is a big title for a kids show. And then New Order Part Two: The land shall burn them. Ooh, 
<laughs> uh, this one, it turns burn, out that we burn the land and boil the sea. We you find that uh, thank you. Uh, Dread's new order plan, his big end game, uh, is he's got a space station with digitization rays that should di- that can digitize people from space, and they have to stop him from turning it on and basically digitizing the whole human race and winning the war. So time it's, is uh, called, time is of the essence. It's called Icarus, and at the end of the two part episode. Uh, after all of these uh, plots and machinations have been put into place, they actually crash the station. Yeah, into it, Lord Dread's like pyramid base. Yeah, it looks like they won. They like, you won can the stop war. It there. Well, they they say we won like our first decisive victory. Uh-huh. And like because Lord Dread is alive, Overmind has survived, but he might be a little broken now. He even says, "I I hurt." Overmind's yeah. like feels pain, which yeah. is weird. That's a weird moment, and I'm glad they sell it like it's real drama. Um, I like this episode. They steal the Death Star run from Star Wars. They actually do it in the actual proper show. Yeah. Pilot has to run a bunch of simulations, and then like she actually does it, and it's cool. Um, there's a couple of bits in this two-part episode and the episodes that follow, which imply that Hawk is going to die. Yeah. Like, Hawk's power suit starts malfunctioning, so it cops out in the middle of a battle, and he gets shot, and Tank has to save him. Um, there's also a fun bit in the episodes that follow this, uh, where Captain, they're in the middle of a firefight and Captain Power starts getting really emotional and Hawk says, don't take it personally. And then he gets shot in the helmet and he takes off his helmet, like that scene in Saving Private Ryan. And I'm thought, oh God, this is where Hawk died. <laughs> and then he's just like, that was my helmet, you bastards. And he pulls out his gun and he shoots a whole bunch of robots because he's vain about his helmet, I guess. I kept thinking they were setting up Hawk to die, and it turns out they wanted to kill a completely different character. Because Mm. after they destroy Lord Dredd's plans, Lord Dredd rallies, and in the final two-part episodes, Retribution Part 1 and 2, he goes on a massive killing spree, killing all the humans he can find. Uh, Mm. It's a desperation play, but it's working. Yeah. Um... Captain Power even has a whole thing like, okay, we've made him mad, which we've never been able to do before. And when you're mad, you make mistakes. So hopefully we can capitalize on something. Problem is, in one of these missions, in these episodes, Blastar sees Captain Power use a teleportation portal, which they didn't know that they had. And now that Lord Dread knows that Captain Power has that, he's able to find out more about it and track them back to their secret base, which, due to the machinations of the plot only has Pilot in it. So it's Pilot versus an army of robots led by Blastar, who is indestructible. And she has to find a way to save Mentor, save the power suits, and save herself. And And she doesn't do one of those things. uh, And uh, this after she and Captain Power have started to reveal or she's at least started to reveal that she might have feelings for him and they've actually kissed each other on the cheek a few times in like Mm. a more than personal like a more than like familial way Mm. and it seems like you know oh maybe they're gonna get together and it's gonna be sweet but like it works well and it works better in a way better than just the usual will they won't they sexual tension Mm. bland uh, love story because of the backstory they've given to pilot yeah how she is trying to figure out human emotions a little bit better yeah and this is like her first time Mm. she's ever felt anything even remotely like love Mm. um which could have led to actual real conflict with captain power saying like well you don't know what love is this is you're kind of you know naive and i don't want it you know this to be weird 
Um, but instead they just have this bit where they're going to have, like, there's something they want to tell you for a really long time. Beep! Captain Power, we're ready mm. for the mission. Oh, I guess we'll have this conversation later. Nope, Pilot dies. Pilot dies. Pilot dies blowing up uh, uh, the headquarters so that Dread can't get their teleportation technology. While on the phone with Captain Power. It's very Captain America, mm. the first Avenger. Oh, I don't remember that scene. It's, uh, the end of Captain, uh, Captain America uh, tells uh, uh, Agent Carter... Uh, that uh, when the war is over, they'll go dancing, but they have this mm. one last mission to do, and then that's when he fights the Red Skull, and he has to crash uh, the ship into the ocean in order to prevent mm. it from destroying the eastern seaboard. Mm. And they're talking on the phone, and they're talking, and they're talking, and then he cuts out mid-sentence, and it's actually it's actually uh, really effective. Uh, I don't remember that scene at all. <laughs> I hate you so much sometimes. Um, I, I, wasn't he like, he had to like kick a missile to like change its course or something? Uh, there's a couple of things he had to do, Damn. but in the end, he had to. He basically his only option was to crash a plane, and he had to crash okay. it with him in it. And, oh, you know yeah. what? I'm thinking of the Albert Pune Captain America. We you are stra- thinking about the Albert Pune Captain America. strapped to the miscellaneous to kick the rudders. Yeah, I, I'm mixing up my Captain America movies. And then it turns out that like a couple of little kids see Captain America fly on that missile, mm, and, and then grows they, up to be president. And then one of those kids grows up to be president. <laughs> it's hilarious. And the other one grows up to be Ned Beatty. <laughs> Is that Ronnie Cox who's in that? Yeah, I've, I've seen that movie more than I've seen the the the, the Joe Johnston movie. Shit, I might have to actually. <laughs> That's not good. It's no, not a it's, good thing. Joe Johnston was way better. <laughs> I, um, it's way better, dude. It, it's it's no, there's a couple to, of things to watch that, like, again. I'm just I will say this. I'm I like bored the by the character. I, I like think the, the movie did a good job of making the character interesting. I like the Red Skull makeup in the Albert Pugh and Captain America, but he only mm. has it for one scene. Yeah, no, then they say he got plastic surgery. What the what are you doing? They changed the makeup. He actually looks cool. What are you doing? The editing is so Ridiculous. terrible in that movie. He spends the entire film like locked away in a castle, secretly running like this mm. evil cabal that runs the world. He doesn't need to look normal. He's not going out and getting groceries. Like, <laughs> let him be the Red Skull, you dicks. Anyway, um, but, but uh, that's Captain uh, Power. That's Captain Power. Uh, I did a little bit of reading, and evidently J. Michael Straczynski, uh, I can't pronounce his name correctly ever, uh, J. Michael J. Straczynski, Michael Straczynski yeah. uh, wrote this scene based on a very dark episode he had in his own life. Mm. Uh, uh, evidently, he had a friend who was on, on the brink, and mm. he tried to talk her off the ledge and ended up losing her to suicide. Uh. And this kind of marked uh, not not just Captain Power, but a lot of the things he wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was al- always weighed on him. He's spoken very frankly about this. And so uh, the, the idea of lending a lot of dramatic weight to this, he, his mind just started going in that direction. He ended up writing that scene, and uh, evidently this was kind of a therapeutic experience for him. The death of Pilot was something that uh, was very, very personal to him, and that the show failed, and a lot of people were criticizing that it was only for selling toys. He always bristled at that. He's yeah. like, I poured my heart and soul into this thing. He tried. I put in some, this like very personal experience of mine yeah. and all of these emotions. And I think we, we put something out there that was very, very, very good. Mm-hmm. And the fact that its reputation was, is a kiddie show that was just there to sell toys is insulting. It, it, it is. It's also something the show was actually doing. It, it was, the show it was wouldn't a, have gotten made if they didn't think they could sell toys. That's a practical yeah. reality. But that wasn't his job. His mm. job was to make a good show. Yeah. And he tried. And I think at his best and at the show's best, Captain Power is a very good show. And at its mm. worst, it's kind of just kind of a dumb action show, mm. but with weirdly good production values mm. for the era. 
um, and, and a couple action, of interesting ideas. And, and the action was always pretty good. The action it, was kick-ass. Yeah, it, it was never like yeah. too. It was never con- confusing. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty well choreographed. Mm-hmm. The special effects on like the ray guns always worked. Yeah, it looked uh, good. There was never a mo- not a single moment where I fe- felt oh that they did that one a little cheap. The only thing they that cheated it, that one. The only thing that they cheated was towards the end of the series they started reusing a lot of action footage. That, yeah, that, that's that the was one it. thing. And if you and if you weren't binging it, you might not even notice. Yeah. Um, the other thing that the show was controversial about and that people complained about, or parents complained about, mm. was that it was really violent. And it's a, which it's it a, is. It's a war show yeah. with a lot of gunfire, a lot of fisticuffs, and the most common defense that I've heard of Captain Power on these terms is that they're fighting robots. But here's the thing: the vast majority of the robots that they fight. Mm. look like people in costumes functionally you're just watching people beat the shit out of each other and yeah, shoot each yeah. other and that's something you can't entirely escape i do believe that captain power if it had been done today would have had an easier time finding an audience because that kind of middle ground show where like it's got kid appeal but it's also more ambitious in its writing and production and action Mm. you can find an easier audience for that but yeah there's really wasn't a place for this in the 1980s it's this kind of neither one nor the other yeah. but also completely both yeah. uh there was a lot of preoccupation with the end of the world at the time yep. uh this cold was war. yeah this was the cold war stuff there was all, the, all of this nuclear proliferation talk uh, the, the uh, success of films like mad max mm. uh, and then later the terminator and that kind of thing changed the way we viewed the post-apocalypse in genre fiction because previously the post-apocalypse was just going to be this absolute tragedy and now all of a sudden after the road war it's like oh it might be badass well not it might be badass maybe but we're still we're thinking about it more often than we had before true and there's and definitely a, a grimness of, and a melancholy but it's also cool cool but we're going back to it a lot is my point it mm. was really an active part of the consciousness there weren't a huge number of post-apocalypse movies in the 70s there were a couple yeah the Omega yeah, Man Omega Man Planet, Planet of the Apes etc uh, yeah. you know, but uh, they had a different tone they, they, they were a, more dour. They had a different tone, and there weren't as many of them. Uh, all of a sudden, you fast forward to these Saturday morning cartoons for kids. You look at stuff like uh, Robotics, Centurions, Jason the Wheel Warriors, these things that are clearly made just to sell toys. They all take place after the fall of humanity. Well, uh, a lot of them. Yeah, I, I like... What what's the premise of Centurions? Like uh, the planet cracks open, and these, giant monsters. These, come yeah, out. these monsters come. The Lovecraftian beings, these demigods, come out from underneath the earth. They wipe out all of humanity, and there's only a few people left now in cyber suits fighting them off. Wait, was that the Centurions or the Inhumanoids or both? Oh, I'm thinking of the human Inhumanoids. We're thinking of the Inhumanoids. Yeah. They have similar looking toys, though. <laughs> yeah, because that's yeah. that's our frame of reference. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. It just uh, a lot of a lot of shows were about how humanity is wiped out already, or at the risk of being wiped out. Yeah, and, but yeah. and it was always at the hands of some sort of outsider. So there was this sort of fear of the other always uh, baked into this. Or yeah. gets taken over by aliens and all, shit. All yeah. of these shows. So uh, Captain Power was Robo one of the few one of the few that. shows that actually bothered to kind of deal with the seriousness of that yeah. and how unhappy the world is. And, and even though, it you is, know, for kids, yeah, even though, you know, it's fun and they're wearing the power suits and they're named Captain Power and they got the ray guns and there's these cool monsters. Yeah. It's a pretty grim show. Yeah, it's not a lo- lot of fun to watch. Uh, that Ooh. said, 
I kind of enjoyed this show. When the show focused on the characters who had some meat on their bones, mm. mostly Pilot, sometimes Lord Dread, the occasional other episode, mm. but mostly those two characters, um, it actually had some real depth to it. It actually had some interesting moral questions that it raised. It was consistently excitingly filmed. Mm. Um, there's a lot yeah, it didn't that rise and fall. It started no. strong and stayed strong. Yeah, it started simple and got mm. a little bit more complicated as it went on, and I appreciated that. And that rewards, you know, in-depth viewing. Mm. Um, I think that the thing that's holding the show back, aside from the era, and again, there's only so much you can do about that it was a little out of its time in some regards mm-hmm. um is it's too short i think if you would let this show be a 40 minute show rather than a 22 minute show mm-hmm. you would have had more opportunity for the plots to feel less perfunctory yeah and so the action sequences would carry more weight uh and you would have had an opportunity for the characters to have more going on like scout mm. could have done something well, they, then they just be sad about a Christmas tree once. We you know? would have we would have seen a lot more of their lives when they weren't in action. When they I think that's being a good soldiers. idea. Yeah, I think I mean, we don't want that to be the only part of the show, but it would be nice if we actually got to take a breath with them once in a while. Mm. Because yeah, there's a few characters we get to know. We barely get to know Tank and Scout at all. There's only five main characters, and Lord Dread kind of is a periphery. Mm. We only get to know one of them really well. Two of them kind of well, and two of them barely at all. Yeah. That's not great when you have like over 22 episodes. Like, I think it's 22 episodes in the season. 22 episodes, yeah. yeah. that's not great. So I think it needed more time. I think if it had, had been a longer show, it would have been seen as more of an adult show, or at the very least a young adult show, mm. and it could have reached that bigger audience a little better. Um, and I think that would have been the key to saving it. Uh, Captain Power has a cult following, and has for a long time. Uh, a lot of people remember the show very fondly because, like a lot of other J. Michael Straczynski shows, like Real Ghostbusters, they had a lot of promise, they had a lot of strong writing in it, and people remembered it fondly with actual good reasons. And of course, this one got canceled for the controversy. The toys weren't selling that well because of the controversy. It moved around in the ratings, and um, it was rough. The deck was stacked against it. Mm. Um, but. There had been talk for a long time about bringing it back. Uh, J. Michael, I, I think J. Michael Straczynski revealed this, but there were a bunch of like uh, sort of outlines for episodes that got released later for plans they had for season two. Like they were oh, going to like they, find... no, they, they plotted it. They, there were yeah. scripts. Yeah, they yeah. actually wrote out a lot of seasons. They, they had a plan. Uh-huh. And there was going to be like episodes where like Captain Power was like going to the dark side because Pilot died and he was like on a mission of revenge rather than heroism. And I heard maybe one of the episodes actually started introducing aliens into it, which fuck it. Why not? I don't care. <laughs> um, sell more toys. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they never really came together. They've had a couple of Comic-Con presentations where they talked about doing more. They would put together a teaser. Um, but it never entirely came together for whatever reason. Uh, and then what with the whole thing with Gary Goddard, I'm not sure anyone's really eager to put this thing together anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tainted. Gary Goddard doesn't deserve your, your royalty dollars. No, it really doesn't. Which, um, which sucks with everyone else on the show, Mm -hmm. but seriously, J. Michael Straczynski was, was, uh, wanted to i imagine he could probably buy out the rights 
make be, be, cool. the, be the sole owner of it, start crediting himself as yeah. the creator because he's the one who kind of made the show anyway. Yeah, I mean, other people uh, worked on yeah. it. Certainly, it's always like mm. a, a a collaborative effort. But yeah, he was the guiding hand in a mm. lot of it. And um, yeah, uh, if Captain Power had gone on for a hundred episodes, that would have been an expensive show. Probably would have been cool though, and they probably would have gotten more depth as they went along mm-hmm. because you can just do it over time. Yeah, but and yeah, probably would have been stronger. I I do like it, and when we ask, was it canceled too soon? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, uh, I think I'd like to see more of this. But at the same time, I openly acknowledge that it is neither fish nor fowl. Yeah, it's a hard it, sell. It's, it's a hard sell, and I'm only saying this as an adult who is watching a. a vaguely adult show that it was clearly marketed to kids. Yeah. It's not written in so sophisticated a way that I can sort of get into some really heady ideas that are being hidden inside of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's written in a lot more sophisticated a way than a lot of the shows that were on at the time. Certainly at the time. That's mm-hmm. totally true. Um, yeah. Was it canceled too soon? Uh, just purely going off of the quality of the show. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm hot and cold on the show. I think there's a lot of filler episodes that just completely are a blur to me. Mm. But when the show was good, it was really good. Yeah. So I'm going to say, yeah, I think it was, for the purposes of our show, canceled too soon. Um, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, the people who clung on to that uh, were onto something. There's something mm. good here. On the other hand, I don't want to support that guy. So no, it's, no, it's, no. it's a, it's a, it sucks. So, um, and it sucks on a variety of levels. Um, but I don't want to get into that and ruin everyone's day, but, uh, yeah. So again, you can look that up if you want to. It's unpleasant, but Captain Power is something that is really interesting. It's an interesting footnote, uh, in sci-fi television. It's a footnote in eighties kids television. Um, and, um, yeah, if you want to go back and re-explore it, you will find a good show there. Mm. Um, little hit and miss at times gets better as it goes along that's for certain uh, next time on Cancelled Too Soon we are going to be covering a TV series that was chosen uh, by all of our patrons not just one of them <laughs> uh, we every month on uh, the uh, Patreon page patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network uh, we have a poll for our listeners to pick one episode of Cancelled Too Soon every month and this month uh, the selections were all random just a bunch of stuff we had in our library. And the show that got picked was a show called My Own Worst Enemy, starring Christian Slater as a guy who doesn't realize that he's also a secret agent who gets activated and has a separate personality. Uh, it's just, uh, lasted about half a season, and it got a DVD release, so you can track it down if you want to watch it along with us. We'll be reviewing it next week. Sorry this show was late. When we do episodes that last 22 episodes... Uh, we do shows the last 22 episodes. It's hard to fit them into a week because, as you might have noticed, we do a lot of podcasts. <laughs> We're, we do our best, but um, it's really hard when the show is long. It just is. Um, but uh, next week, we should be fine for doing My Own Worst Enemy because uh, it was only a half season, so it should be pretty easy to fit in. Uh, and that is the show. Uh, you can write us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net if you want to talk about uh, Captain Power or anything else related to this show or any of the other shows that we do or if you just want to ask us questions about anything at all really we're critics who've mm. been doing this for a while we might be able to answer a question I don't know like it's what we do um, 
And uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, you, again, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Very special thank you to everybody who supports us on that network. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. We wouldn't do it without you. We are intensely grateful to you uh, for helping keep the show alive uh, because uh, times are rough right now. Boy, mm. howdy are they. Uh, so we're really hoping that uh, you enjoyed the episode and the other stuff that we do on the network. Thank you once again from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season.